0: Welcome to this episode of The Connection Podcast. We had the wonderful opportunity of interviewing Charlotte Westover. Charlotte grew up in the Springfield area. Many of you know her. We dove into a few topics today. We talked about some of our favorite musical experiences, how the music we hear in the church and other places helps us to feel the spirit. We also talked in detail about her musical coming out that's called Echo. Many people had the opportunity to listen to a screening of that about a year ago when it was called Eternity. Charlotte also talked with us about her own personal faith journey, coming home early from a mission, learning who she is and and being able to connect with the Savior. I think a lot of people are going to really connect with this one and love it, and I just hope you enjoy Welcome to the Connection Podcast. We have a special guest with us today. That is Charlotte Westover. Say hi, Charlotte.
1: Hi, Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we have Casey Westover back. Forty-one episodes later, something like that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Has it been that many?
0: I don't That's know. Maybe, uh, maybe it might be a few less, uh, but not many less. Glad to be back. Yep. Yeah. And we have Lexi Luna after a short hiatus. She's back. Uh, hello. Actually, very short hiatus. We just yeah, did I think the FSY episode. This is the episode.
3: shortest that I've gone like in a row.
0: I'm happy that you're back. So we're, we're going to start off, we were talking about music today, understandably so. And the opening question I wanted to dive into is, what is your favorite concert or other musical event that you have been to in your lifetime? And let's start with Lexi.
1: What?
3: <laughs> okay. You're in the
1: hot seat.
3: <laughs> well, I've only been to two, Indina Menzel and Taylor Swift. So... You went
1: to Indina Menzel,
3: Yes, and it was, it was like in Seattle. She invited all the kids up onto the stage to sing "Let It Go" with her, and that was that was pretty cool. When was this? Oh, I don't know. I really have no idea. Probably like, ye, two years after Frozen came out. It's whenever that was. But yeah, it'd I'm be gonna, it'd be Taylor Swift. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna picture Lexi singing "Let It Go" the high <laughs> notes.
3: Yeah.
0: That's great. What about you, Casey? Uh,
2: I really thought this question was only going to be for Charlotte, so I didn't know I needed to be prepared. But um, I actually have one, um, and I hope I'm not stealing one from Charlotte. My favorite musical occurrence was during COVID when our family decided to put on Finding Nemo the Musical. Oh, yes. And it was so fun. We were as amateur as they come, uh, but Charlotte actually came and directed us, and It turned out really, really good. And uh, it has over 50,000 views on YouTube. We
1: really haven't checked in a while. Here's a shameless plug. Just look at Finding Nemo the Quarantine Musical on YouTube. And if it's on my YouTube account, Charlotte Westover, you will find it. and
2: It's a and solid 40 minute good. show. We did the whole thing. It was really uh, fun. What's it called? Uh-huh.
1: Finding Nemo the quarantine musical. Uh-huh. We couldn't we couldn't have an audience.
2: No, we couldn't. Though we did have we did have a few people show up.
0: No, we need to, we need to make this an official podcast episode. <laughs> it's Jacob it was right so there. fun. Yeah, that is so, that is going to happen. Yeah. As told by Sam Boreen. Yeah, no, that's yeah. it. So, <laughs> this oh, is a preview. That's that so that would be oh. great. That's just
2: the preview for it.
0: What so, about you, Charlotte? Oh,
1: I, you didn't steal mine though. I wish that was the one I thought of. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, the the one I thought of is is good too. I don't go to concerts very very often. I don't think I've been to a single concert <laughs> my entire life. Um, not not in the the way you would think of a concert, like a Taylor Swift concert or anything like that. But um, uh, it was 2018, I think, 2018. Uh, the Springfield, Oregon State did the Lamb of God or- oratorio for the first time. Um, and I remember sitting and watching and it just was like this spiritual, musically enriching, life-changing uh, experience sitting there just weeping and weeping. And then the year after, I ended up uh, doing it as well as looking at an alto in the chorus. But... It was
0: gorgeous. It was beautiful. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, I'm i going to change mine, actually. I told you guys that seeing Nirvana live <laughs> when I was a teenager was the coolest <laughs> thing. But I'm actually going to, shocker alert, change it to watching Drew Boreen and Joel Boreen play <laughs> Captain Hook. Yes, was,
2: that was pretty oh, impressive.
0: That will it. forever – that lives rent-free in my brain right now, I'll just say for uh, sure. <laughs> There's um, no better dynamic duo. <laughs> yeah, and I will. I will – forever encouraged drew to grow a mustache because of that although (laughs) i don't know if he actually can but (laughs) well charlotte i know a lot of people that have been in the stake know you pretty well um we are expanding we're growing and you know a lot of people listen to the podcast from the whole area um so put yourself into context a bit let's let's think about if you're going into a new ward you're you're asked to give a talk how would you introduce yourself to new people
1: Oh, that's a good question. Am I am I going into a new work that is like in Oregon, or am I out of state?
0: Let's let's even go out of state. Yeah, let's.
1: Okay. So I can't say uh, Casey Westover is my dad.
0: Oh, uh, you definitely.
1: <laughs> Did any? Well, you, <laughs> Do you never know Casey yeah. Westover. Do
0: you
1: know Andrea. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's all you need to know. <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah. So uh, my name is Charlotte Westover. You now know that I am uh, the daughter of Casey and Andrea Westover. But that doesn't matter because I'm out of state, so you don't know who those people are. Um, I go to BYU, uh, in Provo and I am a currently studying to be a theater art studies major. And and that's an umbrella term for lots of different roles in the theater department, um, where I get to choose my emphasis and I'm emphasizing in playwriting first and then directing on the secondary. What else? I've been singing my whole life. I love to sing. I love musicals, obviously. (laughs) Um... I, here's a fun fact, I raise an eyebrow every time I smile, and <laughs> now everyone in this room is going to watch me, <laughs>
2: I'm
1: going to try not to. I,
2: I didn't even know that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you look at my, every ID picture from from every picture they took of me in school, or, or BYU picture, I have to smile, and my left eyebrow. So
0: it, it, a single eyebrow. It's one. An inquisitive look. And I'm trying look.
1: to smile yeah. now. yes i'm like pushing them down but yeah it's this one right here so when i smile it just goes up hey that's uh that's a fun fact anything else what else do you want to know i have four younger sisters so i grew up in a house full of women my dad was the only male and even the animals were all female for a while we do have a boy cat now I don't. I can't see myself saying all this stuff over the pulpit. So, <laughs> so take that as it will.
0: Well, now, now I really encourage you to do so. As as yes. you go back to school, <laughs> please let everybody know about the eyebrow yeah, situation. Yeah,
1: from the pulpit. Oh, yeah. that would be you know, great. They will pay attention to the talk at all. They'll just watch my face. <laughs>
0: You know, if you do it and come back and report, we'd appreciate that. Okay, okay. sounds good. Well, let's, let's actually, I think that's a good start. I wanted to start going around the room here and just, you you have a lot of interesting things that we wanted to dive into. Um, Lexi, what, what did you want to talk with Charlotte about?
3: Oh my gosh. Um, I wanted to talk to you about your mission. I remember, how long ago was that? It was, I
1: left in 2017. So that was... Oh gosh! how long well, was that? five uh, years ago was that five or six? Uh, five. I'm 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 in the arts department. I don't particularly do well with anything <laughs> mathematical or scientific in nature. I failed the math <laughs> class, but I ace my theater classes. So that tells you how good I am at telling uh, at doing math.
3: Yeah. So. Well, what I remember from when you went on your mission, because Lydia, um, Charlotte's younger sister, and I have been like just the closest friends forever. Was the music video you did leading up to it? <laughs> And then oh you're God. like, <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember you said the place where you got called on your mission inside your music video. And Lydia was just like freaking out over that for like a while <laughs> after. But, I mean, you were you were talking in these show notes about um, your mission and revolving anxiety and what you'd redo. And I just wanted to hear that from your perspective.
1: Yeah, so for as long as I can remember, I, I wanted to serve a mission. Um, I'm the oldest in my my family, and so it felt... I don't know. It felt it felt appropriate for me to not necessarily set an example, um, because obviously my sisters are, are free to choose what they what they want to do um, as far as mission goes and and things like that. But but as an oldest child, I, I felt a little bit of this kind of sense of responsibility, um, at least for myself to to serve a mission and and maybe even a little bit of pressure uh, to to serve um, because I. I, ever since I was little, I wanted to, but, but everyone had always kind of fed that idea to me. Hey, Charlotte, be sure to serve mission. You'd be so good if you serve the mission. You, you you teach so many people. And, and I was really thankful for all of those things and, and really grateful for that. Um, and I think for me, one of the things I do reflecting on, on the decision to serve was realizing that truthfully, the decision to serve didn't come really from me as a I want to go do this beautiful service. I want to go do this because I love God and i love His children. But I can look back now and say that a lot of that decision came from place of me wanting to perform and wanting to be something that I thought everyone expected me to be. And I don't know that anybody actually expected me to be that person, but I placed that that mantle on myself uh, of... Charlotte needs to serve a mission. She's gonna do a really good job. She's gonna to go to a foreign country. And she's gonna baptize so many people, and everyone is gonna be reading her emails. Um, and lights are gonna be changed. And, and I went into it with that attitude. Um, and so that that I think was like the first problem <laughs> with, with my mission. Um, not that my mission was a problem, but that I approached it that way rather than approaching it with this idea of I wanna do this because I love, I love God, that I love his children. And so I get out there um, and and the mission call opening was so performative and I invited everybody over. And I think I read the type, the name of where I was going to go, but I couldn't even say it out loud because dramatic effect mm-hmm. and I was crying. But was I crying because I really felt something or was I crying because everyone's watching and expected me to cry when I read? You know what I mean? Like it's kind of that. What am I doing this for? But but we were in pretty deep at this point. And so I get out there and I start to learn to love what I'm doing as a missionary in the MTC, um, only to realize that the amount of pressure I started to put on myself was starting to like concave inside of me. Um, and and I started having panic attacks and anxiety issues. And I went to the hospital on, a, on a one occasion, the first time in my mission and with heart rate issues. And, and ultimately they said, Charlotte, you need to go home. You need to go to therapy. You need to get on medication. You need to do something. Um, And then you can come back out. Uh, And so I came home. It was devastating, absolutely devastating, because, again, Charlotte brain thinks everyone's watching her and everyone's expecting her to serve a full 18-month mission with no problem, perfect success, right? So I was home for five months, went to therapy, did the whole thing. I even got on medication. Um, And then five months later, I flew out to Pennsylvania, which is where I had originally been called. And I get out there and... (laughs) I get out there and I'm just sick all the time. I I got like an infection in my eye and I, it was contagious. So I couldn't touch anybody and I had to wear sunglasses. And then I got buck bites on my leg. It was swollen so much that you couldn't see the strap of my shoe and like everything I tried out there to go and be the missionary that I wanted to be got hindered. And I was consistently just in bed in the apartment. And then there was a medication issue and the anxiety got worse and worse and worse. And it was so paralyzing. Um, Found myself in the hospital again. Um, And after two months, two and a half months ish, um, I reached out to the mission president and I said, I don't know what to do, but I have to stay. So, whatever we decide, whatever we decide, (laughs) just make sure I stay. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And and he knew I had already gone home early once. And so he really wanted to help me. Um, And so I remember reading the scriptures one day and he just said, I need you to, I need you to really pray about this and and make sure that you can stay and that you're going to be okay. so I was praying and I was reading the scriptures and I just, in my head, I, I thought, okay, pay attention to how your body feels when you consider staying. And so I did that and I sat with that thought and I'm sitting there and I'm panicking and I'm panicking and my heart is racing, but I want it so bad. Um, and then I switch it and I say, okay, consider what's happening to your body when you consider going home and deep sadness fell over me, but the panic was gone and that was enough. And so I told my mission president, I said, okay. And I think my dad, they, they, the church flew him out so that he, uh, somebody could accompany me home. Um, but then I came back home and, and after that, I kind of had to readjust to normal not life, not just as a missionary because, you know, readjusting after a mission is hard, um, but readjusting to normal life as a twice early return missionary, uh, which is a
3: whole other can of worms. So Yeah. Great. Thank you. You said that this was your catalyst for starting your daunting project, which I'm sure you're meaning musical. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) from From that moment, what was what kind of like sparked that for you?
1: So, I mean, like I said, for as long as I can remember, I wanted the mission. That was the project. That was the big thing I was working up to all throughout high school was to go do this big thing. Um, And so there was kind of this emptiness because I didn't, finish the big thing. And of course I did finish. I finished according to how Heavenly Father wanted me to finish. I did his will. Um, But in my mind, there was bells ringing saying, you did not complete what you said you would complete. And that's a big no-no in Charlotte brain. <laughs> so um, so I, there was this hole. There was this emptiness. and I was like, I need a project. I need something. Um, and so I did a lot of reflecting. And I, I tried a lot of different things, actually. I was like, maybe I, should, maybe I should write a book or I'll start a blog. And I did start a blog. And, and, and nothing was really sticking. And then one day, I was sitting at my piano in my apartment in Rexburg, Idaho, because that's where I was at school before. BYU Provo. Um and I had started, I was just at my piano and I just started writing the song, didn't know what it was about, didn't know why I was writing it, um, but the tune was okay. And I just kind of went for it. Um, and I, I attributed a story to it and it was Pioneers, which kind of came out of nowhere. I hadn't really been thinking about the Pioneers all that much previously. Um, and so it, it was just kind of this one-off. I wrote the song and it was there and it was fine and it was okay. I never intended to write a musical. It was just kind of a boredom. I need to do something with my life afternoon. Um, But I sat on it and I kept sitting on it. And it was like, you know, Charlotte, this isn't This isn't bad. This isn't bad music. Which you've written, Um, you wrote lyrics, you wrote music, and and you, as you you guys probably don't know this, but I have zero composition experience, zero whatsoever. And so the fact that I'd written anything at all was kind of miraculous. Um, So I ran with it, and I wrote another one, and I just kind of kept the pioneer theme because that's what had shown up at the time, and and it just kept going and going, and then a story started piecing itself together, Um, and there's sort of this beauty that came out of attempting to to trek do my own trek uh to zion across barren plains as as a missionary and failing and failing but then telling a story of another family that has to do the same thing and how they have to continually get back up and continually get back up and that it's okay um to on some days succumb a little bit to the cold weather and and that it's okay and 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 if we don't always have perfect faith, it's okay. God still loves us and we can still get up and keep pushing that handcart. And so it became a crutch for a while and I just kept going and we're here now and I'm about to stage this musical. But but back then I had no idea what it was going to become. And so I have only Heavenly Father to thank um, for giving this to me because I really truly feel like he just gave it to me. He said it in my lap on that random day in January. Um, and here we, we are, so...
0: Awesome. And for the people, I think a lot of people in the stake know about your musical, know the name, but could you just, for people that may not be familiar with it, talk about the the name, uh, what we've done so far and where we're at now?
1: Yeah. So uh, about a year ago, we did a concert reading here um, in Eugene at the Stake Center. Uh, and at the time, the musical was titled Eternity because um, it, it was... You know, it, it, all, it all connected back then. <laughs> um, and then after that, I uh, was selected to do a workshop at BYU with it in their pro- program called the uh, WDA program. It's Writers, Dramaturgs, and Actors program, where they workshop musicals and, and other plays. And so it went through a rigorous, very, very rigorous sifting process and, and cutting and, and rewriting process. And then we had another concert reading of what the musical is still called Eternity at that time last December at BYU you <laughs> Um, it was pretty different from the stake center concert reading we had done last year. Um, and then after that, I took another playwriting, advanced playwriting class where they picked it apart again. And I worked one on work, one with a professor um, and the title changed to Hattie's Echo, um, which is the current title. And shortly after that, I met with the department chair at BYU and they had been talking about it because the professors there, they, they talk to each other and talk about what their students are working on, exciting projects going on. Um, and they suggested, hey, you should pitch this, this meeting musical as what's called a 536 project which is a an advanced directing project that students get to do kind of as they're not necessarily as their capstone um, but but it's a big big project that students get to do and so i pitched it to a few directors and, and students and they picked it up and now we're we're deep in production work right now i was just actually on a zoom meeting earlier today Going over some production stuff, but we're about to produce it at BYU this fall, um, and and yeah, we're just kind of we're just riding the wave from there. So <laughs> it's been quite the journey. Oh,
0: that's that's incredible. That that's so awesome to hear. Um, I did want to share a couple of clips with people from the musical that you've were kind enough to forward over to me earlier today. So thank you for that. Um, we wanted to introduce the first clip, so that was.
1: Yeah, so the first song in the musical is called What We're Leaving Behind. Um, and I'll just give a little bit of context for this. Great. This, this yep. is about uh, the hand part pioneers, Um And we'll talk about the other half of the play in a minute, but, but this is about the handcart pioneers and it revolves around a main character. Her name is Hattie. She's a 15 year old pioneer girl. She is from Liverpool, England. So, um, you'll have to just imagine in this clip that everybody speaks with an accent, but my sisters were kind enough to record it and I did not ask them to do accents. So it sounds very American. Um, but what this clip does is it sets up this family and, and the journey they have to take to even start the handcart pull. So it's going to start in Liverpool, where they're from, where they decide to board the steamships in 1856. Um, and then it's going to transition onto the steamship and, and what the journey overseas is like. Then it's going to transition onto the railroad trains they took um, after they got off the steamships to get to Iowa City. And then at the very end, um, we're going to hear Hattie talk about uh, the season being late, how they got a late start. And uh, then they started the handcart pull. So it's sets up pretty much everything that you need to know about what it took to even start the handcart journey and a little bit about this family uh, that we're focusing on.
0: That's so great. Thank you for entering that. So we'll pause and listen to the clip.
4: exists or not, this place, this place is heaven. So what are we leaving it for?
5: Faster now, faster. Your mother and I worked long and hard to afford this. We'll not be wasting it.
4: Donnie, didn't you hear what he said? You're walking too fast. That's not true. Is so. That hat of yours is squeezing your head so tight, you misheard him. It fits me perfect. Quickly now, quickly. Quickly. A people called to rally, so away we go! All
5: those oceans, or the valleys, that, that all of us might know! There's hope in restoration, a gospel for mankind!
2: Oh Zion, make room to greet me! Oh Zion, honor my country! Oh Zion, let me be
4: worthy! Zion, worth what we're leaving behind?
0: Everyone have your bags?
4: I do! You can still change your mind, you know we'd all be together here in England, where we belong.
0: That's three.
4: No, only two. I've kept track. There's a bet going on between them, you see, that I'd ask them to reconsider at least three times before we'd even boarded.
0: Once this morning, then again some twenty minutes ago. That's three.
4: Your memory's failing you, Ed. Best leave the details to me. Oh, England, don't forget me. What have we become?
5: Abandoned. This is where my family's from. Watch your step. They all say we'll be faithful. What's faith if faith is blind? Oh,
4: Zion, how we adore you. Hey, Zion, look what we've been through. Dear Zion, revel in this view. You'll never be worth what we're leaving behind. We were on the Thornton six weeks. Our diet was mostly bean biscuits, which soaked overnight. Oftentimes times, we were met with water up to our ankles from the storms. Ruined my boots. My favorite boots. Are we very close to Zion?
0: Nearly there, not much longer now.
4: I was eight years old when my grandmother passed. This was hers. Never thought I'd see it up close. Death, that is. And now, souls on the ship leave their bodies every day. Where do they go when they leave us? We docked in New York and shortly thereafter traveled by rail towards Iowa City. Pick up your feet now. Hattie, stay close. Press onward to salvation, no oh, way we go. Still be singing. One promised destination. When we're there, your Your heart will know. You just spent six weeks on a boat. A complaint or two would do you all some good. Our Our trust trust will will never falter thanks to faith combined. Give me your hat. I want to wear it. But it's my Zion. Your what? If my cap was it. Saying the words, oh, Zion, Zion, make room to greet me, oh Zion, save for my family, oh Zion, let me be worthy. Iowa City, June 26, 1856. Two and a half weeks. Supplies were insufficient. The season was late. My father made promises he couldn't keep.
0: There's hope on the horizon, Hattie. You'll see. This will have been worth it.
5: Father, have mercy. Have mercy. And Promise you'll leave dream. me behind.
3: Are we just right. gonna like?
0: Yeah, we're we're starting. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you messed it up, <laughs> uh, <that's laughs> guys. We have to start over from the beginning.
5: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay
3: well
0: Uh, so uh, what are you guys' thoughts and reaction to the first clip
3: hearing that first clip it sounded it was like relatable almost because well i mean for starters allison was the the voice she has still like that young teenagey voice but she was like giving very much a teenager reaction like and as a 16 year old girl i could like i i felt that character being like why are we leaving our home like why are you guys so obsessed with zion there's no way it's any better than what we have now and especially like the the moment where she turns to it's her little brother, yeah, yeah, his name is Donnie, and she's just like stop saying Zion, like this is so stupid. And then he's just like obsessing over it. And I totally get that with like my siblings sometimes. And it just it felt really relatable and real.
2: I really liked it.
0: What what about you, Casey?
2: Um, I uh, I i mentioned that I've heard this a lot, and so um, and I've seen I've seen the process, um, that Charlotte goes through. So. But I, I love the, uh, I, I, and I love hearing her talk about it. Um, but the, especially a song like this that feels so real, like a real family is going through a real process um, and the inspiration that you must have received to do this. What, what is it? in my mind, my question, I guess, would be, what is it like to write something in a spiritual way where you want to be true to your spiritual roots, your spirit, the spiritual side of it, but also have to come up with the story on your own? But I've heard you say you don't feel like you're coming up with a story on your own. So what is that like when you're creating?
1: It's interesting because uh, prior to working on this project, being able to hear God or hear the spirit. Like I I knew what it felt like to feel the spirit, but I couldn't really identify it until later. Um, but one of the things that this musical has done is it has really like clarified my sense of heavenly father is talking to you right now. You need to turn everything else off and listen. Um, and it's, it's, it's really that direct almost. It really feels that direct where everything kind of just stops and it's like just a flow of ideas, just start going. And sometimes it's in the middle of the night and it's like, you're not sleeping until you get this out. So you don't sleep until you get it out on paper and then you go to bed and come back to the next day. Um, but I, I will say this this specific song, this is the fourth, fourth, maybe fifth, fourth or fifth version of the open air uh, over the course of however many drafts it's been 2025 at this point. Um, and it, it's tricky because when you feel so inspired to write something and then you have to cut it, it it's it's a really easy way to let the adversary kind of creep in and say, so was it revelation or are you just making things up? Because clearly, fairly, you have to cut it. So it must not have been revelation, right? You, why why would it? Why, if it were, why did you keep the old version, right? Um, and something that I have learned is that Heavenly Father, if he wanted me to write the perfect play, if, if he wanted... This to be clean and perfect and quick producing and done and out of the way, he would have given to me and revealed to me the perfect play, the very first draft I wrote it. We would never have gotten past draft one. Um, but but what this tells me is it was never about writing the perfect play. It's about crafting an excellent playwright. And so if he is willing to teach me, then I better be willing to listen. And so with every draft, with every new rewrite, I get frustrated that I have to cut it. But again, it's not about the play, it's about me becoming exceptional Um, so that I will be so much more in tune to listen to him when he calls me to do it again. Um, And and there will be times when he will. And so I I stand by my statement in that it feels very much like I have done maybe 10% of the work on this that Heavenly Father has done the rest, but that doesn't mean he's not teaching me um, to do it myself, which is far more exciting than him just giving it to me flat out.
0: How do you reconcile when you do start dealing with the adversary creeping in and saying, hey, it's not you, you know, beg it, do something else? Because it is tough, even if you have felt at, at moments that, hey, I'm being led, this is revelation.
1: yeah. How do I reconcile? I wish I had a perfect answer because I still really, really struggle with that. I still really do. Uh, Truthfully, there, there there have been songs. There have been songs where the spirit is so incredibly strong and it feels so perfect and so wonderful. And it's like, there is nothing that could ever replace this song or this moment or this experience I have just had with my father in heaven in telling the story of my heritage. And yet I do have to cut it. And so reconciling it is so, it's near impossible. It's near impossible. How do you give away a gift that beautiful? How do, you, how do you say, okay, thanks, Heavenly Father. That was like one of the greatest experiences I just had with you, but I'm gonna throw it away now. I don't know that you can reconcile it. <laughs> I, I don't know that there's a, a, a clear and pure answer, um, but I do know that whenever you are doing something godly or, or whenever you're using God's priesthood, because that's what this is, uh, the priesthood is the power of God. The simplest version is that the priesthood is the power of God. And if the power of God is to create, and if I am a creator, then I hold the priesthood. I'm using the priesthood. Anything that requires the power of God, you know is going to be just taken by the neck by the adversary. He does not want you to use that power. He doesn't. And so I just have to remind myself every single time the adversary creeps in to call him out. I just have to, I have to call him out because I know who he is. And when I say his name and I say, you do not belong here, he'll leave. But I have to allow myself or I have, to, I have to do it. I have to tell him. I have to tell him off. Sometimes it's way easier to just let him stay because it feels better to feel bad for yourself. But it feels so much better to, to know whose work you are doing and to feel proud that you are working with your Heavenly Father. So, So yeah, I'm not perfect at it. I'm not perfect at it. I'll never be perfect at it. Um, but recognizing who the adversary is and why he does the things he does is step one. And and that's where I'm at, is is knowing him more perfectly. Just like I know my Heavenly Father more perfectly. You have to know the adversary very well as well. Cool.
0: I, you know, one thought came to mind too as you were going through, you know, what do I do with this artwork that I create that seems so perfect and everything matches up and then I have to cut it. It made me think of, are, are you familiar with what mandalas are Mandala's. I
1: think so, kind of. It's explain it again. <laughs> so
0: it's it's basically it's a tradition of Buddhist monks that they create beautiful artwork. Uh, it could be a painting, it could be something else, and then when it's done, they destroy it, huh. mm-hmm. uh, and it's meant to teach you teach you a lesson about living in the moment and appreciating art as it happens. Yep. And not being so fixated on this has to be permanent because honestly, nothing here is right. So, I it made me think of that, and in, in it's a way of reconciling that. Why is this gone when it felt so right? Maybe it was meant to be there for that moment. In it
1: reminds time. me of, and I know my dad's probably thinking the same thing. I don't know if you guys talked about this on his podcast, <laughs> but uh, but, but the, the idea, idea of breaking something we in addiction recovery and 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 throughout the church, we we talk about um. What it means to be broken and what the value of brokenness is and flaws and, and imperfection. And um, there's a, a ancient, is it is it Chinese or Japanese art form?
2: I think it's a Chinese, yeah.
1: Chinese. Uh, it's called kintsugi. Uh, and it's it's the breaking of precious pots. Uh, I think the story goes that the emperor had a precious pot that he really loved and it broke and it shattered into pieces. And he sends it off to his craftsman. and he says, I need you to fix this. This is valuable. I need you to fix it. And so how do they fix it? They fuse it with gold. And it's interesting because when you fuse it with gold, the cracks are extremely visible. They're so visible. Like you could not look at that and not notice the cracks in it. However, now that it's fused with gold, how much higher is the value of this, of its pot? How much, it is so much more valuable than it was prior to being broken. And so that analogy has really framed just about everything that I do uh, as far as my creative sense of self and, and artwork, but also personally as, as just as honor of God, that there is intrinsic value and in brokenness, and that it's okay. It's okay to be flawed. It's beautiful to be flawed. It's art to be flawed.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's beautiful. And it, it made me actually think of something that uh, Christine Fuller said in one of our more recent episodes. She was talking about, you know, as we do recover from, you know, tragedy, uh, God actually magnifies those tragedies and allows us to help other people yeah. as they see what we've been through. That's beautiful. Um Man, as much as I really want to dig into bean biscuits and what those are, I I would love to go down the rabbit hole and just just the whole origin of that. Um, But it did make me think about how this is kind of a historical fiction where you're weaving in a lot of the story of your family, correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, Tell us more about just that process of, of what story are you telling here about your family?
1: Yeah. There is a, and this really only kind of surfaced in in more recent drafts, but one of the most important parts of this musical is the idea that throughout the ages, we are all pioneers. Um, There's a song in the musical called Pioneer, and and what does is it it showcases throughout the ages how every single person that comes after those handcart pioneers are inevitably going to find themselves on the ground somewhere wondering if God is there for them. They're in the snow, they're in the winter, whatever it may be, whether it's mental health, whether it's infidelity or divorce, or or perhaps it's uh, um, financial difficulties or, or whatever else you can think of throughout the ages. We have all been in that position where we just cannot get up and pull that handcart anymore. We just can't. And so it felt really appropriate uh, to make sure that that pioneer family that we're focusing on in this play maybe wasn't Like my literal pioneer ancestors, but the stories we were telling within this pioneer family were based off of my other ancestors that came after them, um, putting their stories into the body of this handcart company, into the body of these pioneers, pulling a handcart. They all have the names of my ancestors that came after my pioneer ancestors. And so all of the stories that we tell in this musical, they're true, they're just adapted to fit a narrative of uh, 50 years earlier than, than they would have. So,
0: cool. And I, along with that, along that thought process, I'm very curious about the idea of how this has affected or impacted your family. Uh, you listen to the clip. I mean, just like Lexi was talking about, you hear a lot of people that are family members that are doing voices or singing or both. Uh, tell me more about that.
1: This has been a family effort pretty much from the beginning. I, it took I think it was about two years for me to really start telling my family what I had been working on mostly because I couldn't believe I was doing it. Didn't think it would go anywhere. I don't know how to write music. uh, And I... I I don't know how it plays. Like,
2: what am I doing?
0: How do you Um, keep a musical secret? I feel like eventually someone had realized
2: that. I'll I'll (laughs) chime in here. (laughs) Charlotte has always just been singing and playing the piano in her room forever, so we didn't question it when there was musical noise coming. Okay, fair enough.
0: Because if that Mm -hmm. happened in this household, people would figure out something's (laughs) up. But
1: yeah, and then I started sharing it. I was really scared, so scared. I remember how frightened I was to share it. I think I shared some of the first songs with Charlotte Breen because um, she she taught me voice lessons growing up and, and we've always uh, gone over to their house to, to do musical practices and things. And she's like the music person. Right. Um, and and it, just the fear I had. But uh, obviously my family was extremely supportive from the get go and and they all became hyper invested far more than I anticipated. In, in this little story that I had kind of just been crafting by myself in my bedroom with a keyboard and so it has become kind of a well it's become a bit of a healing opportunity uh there are lots of things um I think in everyone's life but in our family that that we've had to wrestle with um some of that has been talked about on my dad's podcast um we've we've been through it as a family we have and if you want to talk about handcarts that you have to pull in, in the modern day I think addiction or pornography and things of that nature that is a handcart that is a heavy heavy handcart and, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise that is heavy and hard to pull um, and it's silent and it's quiet and it's embarrassing and it's it's hard It's really, really hard. And so when when I started writing this musical, uh, I I had no intention, no intention of writing anything other than the pioneer story. But my dad, being my dad, who's who's also a storyteller and who's a huge advocate for addiction recovery and atonement discovery, really, uh, he said, what if you... Had two families in this musical. What if it was more than just one? What if you had a modern day family, and that story goes side by side with your handcart pioneer family? In? And so we started crafting that modern day family story. And the family that emerged was my family. <laughs> it, it the the story that emerged was was my my mom's and and my dad's and mine and giving voice to that part of us that that went through these really, really heavy trials a few years ago, giving space to process it, giving a moment to sing through some of those really difficult emotions. And then also allowing us to discover what we're made of, uh, not only because of Christ, but because of those that paved the way for us to be here and to discover Christ. We only know Christ because they fought for him so hard on the plains, And so, so yeah, I think it's, it's been so cathartic and, and beautiful and, Honestly, it has come full circle in every way. The miracle of this musical extends far beyond just the miracle of my pioneer ancestry and heritage. The miracle of this musical is modern um, because it's, it's my family story and I cherish that.
0: Wonderful. And does that segue a bit into the next clip we were going to play? Yeah, it okay. Does. Why don't, why don't you intro this and then we'll yes. we'll do a reaction after.
1: So uh, uh, the modern day family, they, they have the names of my ancestors too. Um, uh, the, the main character in the modern family, her name is Marjean. Uh, her full name is Margaret Jean. So my sister Maggie is actually named after Margaret Jean. And this isn't Margaret Jean's story, but uh, it's a story that she bears the name. But it's it's my family's story, and so this mother, having gone through uh, quite a bit of difficulty in her marriage, um, with with a husband who had hidden a, a, a an addiction to to pornography, and and then she's got this son who's struggling, and she doesn't know about it, and she hates herself, and and the way you you view yourself after something like that. Uh, it's different as a woman. It's different. When you look in the mirror, you only see everything that you weren't, you you weren't enough. Um, and so I wrote this song called Captive, um, kind of to give voice to that not just her, but to women, and this this isn't just to women who have struggled with perhaps uh, uh, sexual addiction in, in the form of marriage, um, but it gives voice to women who just can't stand their reflection and and can't get themselves to leave the house without putting up some sort of facade that they are somebody they're not and not being able to embrace the person they are. So so this is a very tender song um, called "Captive."
0: Awesome, thank you for that intro too, and we'll we'll listen to the clip and react.
5: Can't free a soul that has died Lock her away.
0: Okay, we are live. We we were busy reacting to this. And I told them, don't waste all the good stuff. Well, we're, we're not live. But sure. I, I think this is actually a clip that we can all relate to in different ways. So I actually wanted to get everybody's thoughts, just overall reaction to it. Lexi, do you want to start us off?
3: Man, this is hard because I feel like I just said everything and I'm like... Say it again. I don't want to say it again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, one thing, um, like in the song, she was talking about the fact that she has to lock away this side of herself and she thinks it's for everyone's benefit. And she's like, it's embarrassing. Why would I want to show that part of myself to the world? And I think it really touches on vulnerability and how hard it is, but how important it is because you can't be vulnerable you're just like this stone-faced wall and it's like there's no emotion no soul to that person and being vulnerable and admitting your flaws is part of who you are and how you grow it's also like that thing of where i would never look at another person and be like oh yeah they don't they don't have any worth but why would i look at myself and tell myself that and it's it's so weird (laughs) how that works because it totally contradicts itself because I know that the worth of souls is so great and awesome, but when the adversary comes and attacks you personally, you're, you feel hopeless and it's hard.
2: What
0: about you, Casey?
2: Um, I'll, I'll say, as I've heard many different, there's, there was a previous version of this song that I just loved. Um, uh, and then this version was even, even better. And it just, what I've noticed in my, from my perception, and this is a question for Charlotte too, but as we've seen this performed um, last year when you did the Made of Glass, last year when we did the performance, the thing that after the show everybody kept coming up and saying is, how come nobody's talking like this? How we all struggle with these. Why is nobody? being this transparent, this honest. And I heard from several people saying we need this kind of message out there that it is okay to to be transparent, to be broken. And if we're all talking about it, then we'll all be comfortable talking about it. But what do we do? We all hide it away. And so I guess my question for you is, how has it felt, using this song as an example, exposing yourself uh, and exposing those around you, and 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 the myth that we have to be perfect. You know, what's been your response to songs like this from your professors and others?
1: Isn't it funny? And I, I have to, <laughs> I have to laugh because the the message that Heavenly Father is like, you need to tell people about how we don't need to be perfect, and and all this yeah. comes from. Miss perfectionist anxiety, like, and I just have to laugh because it's like, okay, are are you asking me to tell this to the world? Are you just asking me to like, look at myself in a mirror and (laughs) say, Charlotte, drop down the facade. Like you could just be, you could be who you are. It's okay. It's vulnerable. It's, it's the scariest thing I've ever done. I, I think in, in general, just if we're talking about the musical just by itself for a second, Sharing this thing with people who aren't me or who don't know where I come from or what I'm doing is so frightening. It's beyond frightening. It's paralyzing. There have been so many moments where the the adversary just says, don't you dare. Don't you dare show anyone what you have been working with God in private like you cannot. Um, and and he is ruthless. He has been ruthless. I don't know what it is. I don't know what gets me out the door after that because when I say paralyzing, I mean Joseph Smith is about to receive the first vision and the darkness is coming in mm-hmm. and he can't and, and you can't move, you can't breathe, you can't do anything. but that's how that's how important the message is, right? The, uh, and not to compare myself to Joseph Smith in any way, um, but, but the adversary only fought that hard because he knew that the book of Gospel was about to be restored. That's why he fought so hard. Um, and so when you feel so paralyzed when you look in the mirror, or you feel like you can't, you can't be the person that God created you to be, this beautiful creature that he handcrafted, it is because the adversary does not want the world to to learn and grow from you. He does not want you to fill the measure of your creation. He does not. I love that phrase. I love that phrase that we may fill the measure of our creation because we were created to be exceptional and to do great and beautiful things. But we are so paralyzed by doubts and and thoughts that we are ugly or flawed or not funny or awkward or old or whatever it is that we don't offer the world everything that we were given to offer, um, and so I've had to learn that, I, and I'm still I still wrestle with it every time I receive feedback, every time somebody you know says something about the musical, and I'm just like, I can never I can never show anybody ever again. They didn't like that song. I can never I, I'll just hide in the corner now. I will never do it again. Never do it again. But they keep saying. Get back out there because you have worth, and it's just like Lexi said. You have worth. You have to believe you have worth in order to do God's work, and that's that's what that's what we're doing.
0: Yeah, and I think that it it's such a tough process, the vulnerability, and and I think part of the reason that it is so hard is because maybe we feel comfortable with the idea of sharing some struggles or things like that. But I, I think to be truly vulnerable and be ready to give our heart to God and be willing to share our heart with other people, we have to accept the idea that at some point we invented this false version of ourself that we were sharing with the world. And it is so painful to let that go because we feel in our heart and our mind that that false self is what kept us going all these years. When in reality, we were going in spite of that false self. And I, it's it's a at least for me it's a constant process of shedding that false self and then shedding it again because it came back. You yeah. know, I I think for all of us it's you know for me it's always you know Jason is smart, Jason's responsible. Jason is kind, but in reality, sometimes Jason's pretty lazy. Sometimes Jason <laughs> doesn't text his friends back when he should. <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes a he public is. Public
1: apology to all of my friends who I yeah,
0: never text. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, what do you think about that? The the false self idea.
1: Uh, it's it's so. Ah, it's so relatable. <laughs> I can tell you that much. Um, it's it's kind of like what I was talking about before the mission. I, I feel like I painted a picture of the person everybody wanted me to be. And it wasn't a picture they created. I created it. It was mine, mine alone. I knew who I wanted to be. And so what you do is you set a bar for yourself but that bar is impossible. And so when you can't reach the bar, you set for yourself. It's an automatic failure, but you were never asked to reach this bar. You were never asked. And then you spiral and, and it's, it's painful. It's horrible. I don't know if this is a good segue or but I, uh, last year after I did the second concert reading, I, I received some pretty difficult feedback on my musical uh, and it was, it was part I, I, uh, I remember that weekend reading this letter and, and just reading all of the things that this individual had to say. Um, and it was very blunt feedback, and it wasn't it wasn't crafted in a way to help me grow. I think it, they wanted me to grow. They did, not I have grown. But it it could have it could have been different. Um, and I remember that weekend just I, I, I gave everything up. I I think I <laughs> I screamed in the parking lot of the temple in Provo for hours because I felt like because of this feedback I had received, I had to give up the entire project. And mind you, I had been working on this for almost four years at the time. It had been my baby. It had been everything I had ever wanted. The closest I've ever felt to God was working on this. And I felt like it was all being stripped from me. Like I was losing the most important thing I had ever done. And I grieved like I had never grieved in my entire life. And I have to back up a little bit because in September, it was my birthday. Um, and Charlotte Boreen, my aunt, I'm actually named after her. That that feels appropriate because we're talking about family and, and the importance of, of people and names and things. But she sent me a birthday present uh, and uh, I waited <laughs> From September on, I waited at the mailbox. I was like, it's going to be here any day. And I and I knew kind of what it was. She said it was some sort of a necklace or something, but, but that was a hard semester. And it got harder and harder and harder. I was like, you know, Heavenly Father, what would be a really great gift to me today is if that present she promised me was coming showed up in the mail. And then it didn't show up and it didn't show up. And I felt like I deserved it every single day that it didn't show up because it kept getting harder and harder to fare the weight of this musical. And then she had to get the address changed and it got went back to the cellar and then it came back and it, it's been two months, three months. And that's when I got this horrible, hard, painful feedback from this professor skipped church that sunday couldn't go to class cuz i just couldn't do anything without just weeping um and i remember testing god and i said heavenly father if you really care about me if you really care about me that will be in the mailbox whatever it is will be in the mailbox and remember i had been waiting for it all semester and so i said i have strength enough to get off my bed and walk to the mailbox so i walked to the mailbox i open the mail and in there is a little package from Charlotte Boreen, and inside is a necklace, um, and it's a pioneer bonnet. Um, I'm actually wearing it right now. You guys can't see it, but I have worn it every day since. And, and this all comes together, I promise. But the 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 thought that immediately came into my head was, Charlotte, don't forget what you're made of. The miracle I had so earnestly sought for, it, it wasn't missing. It wasn't lost in the mail. It was in transit. Um, and it came when God knew I needed it. What happened after this is, is I wrote a narrative in the in the current part of the musical um, where the pioneer father he has this hat that functions similarly. He wears it every single day and it has a similar meaning. Don't forget what you're made of. And that gets passed down. And so when I have moments of <laughs> of vulnerability or when I look in the mirror and I'm like, you can't do anything, you can't do this, you're you're wasting everyone's time. All I have to do. Is just grab that necklace that's sitting next to my heart and just—it's like a mantra. Just say, "Don't you forget what you're made of," because we were all created to do something exceptional, um, and I believe that. I believe that with my whole heart, uh, and and that that little miracle has fundamentally saved. This musical, because I was ready to throw it away. I was so ready to be done with it and just clean my hands of it because I was so tired of the pain it was causing me. But when we know what we're made of, that we're made of not only the things that the pioneers were made of, but we were made by by Heavenly Father and that we are lifted up by our Savior Jesus Christ, doesn't that make a world of difference? Doesn't that make looking in the mirror a little bit easier if we see in the mirror who He sees? Don't forget what you're made of. I am made of gold like uh, in the cracks, like the fused in the cracks. That's what I'm made of. And those cracks are visible and it's beautiful. And I want everyone to see it. I want everyone to see it because I'm proud of that. So, so yeah, don't forget what you're made of.
2: I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, do you think after receiving that harsh feedback that the, the show is better now than it was before?
1: It hundred percent is. It's, it's so interesting because I was so mad when I received that feedback, but, I would say probably eighty to ninety percent of that feedback absolutely was correct it it had to be it had to be done. it had to and this show is in such a better place now such so place.
2: so that's in my opinion one more opportunity to grow from breaking, right
1: yeah, absolutely yeah absolutely you have to walk through fire yeah to know how strong you are.
0: Oh, so good. I'm glad that our conversation went that way i was I was hoping it would We have some more stuff to get into here Le- Lexi, <laughs> what questions did you have?
3: Well, I wanted to ask why you want or decide to become a writer because earlier you said too that like you weren't previously comfortable with composing and stuff, which is different than writing. so was writing something you were comfortable with before all the composing, or was it something that you grew into?
1: yeah, so <laughs> I <laughs> I ever since I like started playwriting seriously I just like am waiting for somebody to ask me so why did you decide to get into writing and it's really appropriate that my dad is here because this story is about him so back in sixth grade I was asked to write an essay and I didn't want to do it I didn't want to do it whatsoever Mm -hmm. so I think I came home through a temper tantrum and I said dad write my essay and I don't know why he did, but he did.
2: <laughs> I don't remember writing it. I thought I just helped. But... No.
0: Casey Westover, the original yes. chat GPT. <laughs>
1: that's, <laughs>
0: that's right.
2: That's good.
1: Yes. No, but he wrote the entire thing and I turned it in and I was like, teacher, here you go. Sixth grade. Anyway, I turned it in and I get it back a couple days later and <laughs> on, written on the on the essay was a big A plus,
2: best grade I ever got.
1: And <laughs> underneath he, the teacher, very sincerely wrote like a little message to me. and said, "Charlotte, this is extremely advanced writing." <laughs> and he said, "Have you considered going into writing? Like you should, you should be an author. You should write. This is your calling." Like he was buttering me up, and I and I looked at that and I said, "I." I'm a good writer, <laughs> and from that moment on, I really believed <laughs> I was a good writer. No, well, I didn't write any of it. <laughs> so it's it's funny though, because throughout the rest of middle school, like I just I adopted this idea that I must be good, and and so I I started writing a lot more as a hobby. It was not good. It was not good writing at all. But we tell a lot of stories in my family, and and a lot of what we do when we get together is just recall what happened today, but we do it in very dramatic storytelling, playful ways. Uh, And so we're inherently storytellers. Um, And so I I guess I have to thank my dad for giving me the kickstart in sixth grade (laughs) to inspire me to become become a writer. Um, But I also have to attribute a lot of the skills that i've gained and i'm still gaining because i'm I'm still not perfect at it to obviously school and and people that i've got to work with at byu um for developing that skill but the passion for writing that comes from my dad so (laughs) there you are (laughs) that's
2: really funny
0: oh that's so good casey what else did you want to talk about
2: um i i wanted to bring up kind of the other end you wrote this show um last year and then um i'm I'm kind of telling the story before you do, but then you were invited by your professor to go to England and be a part of the British pageant. Um, So you wrote the show before you went to the British pageant. Um, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what the British pageant is and what you did there and how your perspective on your show that you wrote before going to the pageant has changed
1: yeah. Uh, so I have incredible professors and and people at BYU that I get to work with, and opportunities that are just unbelievable that I get to have. So I got invited to go to the British pageant. Um, it's it's the sister pageant to the Nauvoo pageant that they do in Nauvoo every summer. And so we went out to uh, Preston or Chorley, Preston area, Lancashire uh, in the UK, um, and we staged this massive pageant put on by the church. Uh, and, and the story of the pageant is of the early British saints um, who were converted in the British Isles uh, during the, the mission that Hebert C. Kimball first served out there. Um, and it, it talks about their conversion story and of the journey they then had to take to follow a prophet's call to come gather uh, in Nauvoo and then later in the Salt Lake Valley. Um, and so, what, what happened was not only did I get to learn a lot about being on a production site. But I got to stand on the very ground that my forefathers, my foremothers stood. Uh, And there is something so celestial about that. Like, I cannot even describe to you what happened to my spirit out there. Because when I stood where they stood, it was like a reunion with people I never thought I'd get to meet in this lifetime occurred. And I got to meet people. There's something beautiful about... It's, this is one of my favorite things that I love about theater is we embody those that come before us. We put on costumes, sure. We read lines. We we, we act, and, and there's staging and, and directing that's involved. Um, but when we embody those that came before us, we, we sort of become like ghosts, almost. Ghosts of those who, who walked the, the, the floors we walked. Uh, and those sacred stories give opportunity for people who watch them to meet those people in person. Almost... Literally. It's it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And so every every night we were watching the British pageant. They, they sing a song where they, they say farewell to their homeland when they're on the boat. They wave. And I would sit up in the sound booth and I would always wave back because I felt like I was waving to my family. I was waving to my family, leaving the docks of Liverpool, coming to America so that I could know who Christ is. Uh, and it was just surreal. It was surreal to be out there.
2: So how do you now, looking after having done that experience, your connection to the show, how do you view your, your show now?
1: Yeah, I I think recognizing first that everything we do in this show is embodiment, it is the bearing of the name of these people who came before us, uh, and and recognizing what that does for people, so that we treat our audience with respect as well as our cast and, and crew and everybody involved. But I think it it it's, it's deepened my appreciation for the sacrifices that that these families went through. I. I cannot imagine saying goodbye to the only home you ever knew, knowing fully that you probably were saying goodbye to people that you would never see ever again. They didn't have social media back then. They didn't have, you know, they couldn't just call and and sending a letter overseas takes ages. They were saying goodbye to people and family, knowing that they were doing it because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that a sacrifice I'd be willing to make today? Would I do that? I have no idea. I like to think I would, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, And so recognizing who they were as a people and recognizing that what they did so that I might know Christ is of the same, how do I say this? It is as important. Their stories are as important as the stories you read in the scriptures. I think Elder Holland said that. They told us that the British pageant, that Mm -hmm. the script, sorry, that the stories of the early saints are as important as those. Biblical stories we read. They are so important and that we can draw from them in, in miraculous ways. And so as I look at my own musical, trying not to compare too much to the British pageant because they're different types of shows, really. Um, I, I recognize how important theater and religion are, and that they belong together, and that we can't shy away from talking about God and asking godly questions in entertainment. We don't see that a lot in entertainment or media. People are afraid of it. It causes debates. But we have to be bold and we have to trust that Heavenly Father is going to guide our words and our art to, to say what needs to be said. So it, I don't know. It was empowering, to say the least. Very empowering.
0: Wonderful. I, I really enjoyed what you said, actually, about the stories of the early saints being almost part of our, you know, religious heritage and, and a testimony to the Savior and, and to His gospel. You know, I, I think as somebody who grew up with parents who are converts, there's this disconnect, right? You kind of feel like, well, that's not my heritage. That's not me. Uh, so, everybody celebrates Pioneer Day, and I'm excited because Casey's there maybe with some inflatables, to, you know, and stuff like that for our, our Pioneer Day celebration, but it's hard to feel that connection. But when you realize that this is really just like the Book of Mormon, a testament to people who had faith in the Savior and were willing to sacrifice and do incredible things in the name of that, you know, it, it helps you feel differently about
3: that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting because when we were out there, the, the British saints that are out there, they are not descended from those early pioneers. Everyone who was descended from those early British saints came to America. Like, I am their descendant, but the British saints that are there now are not. And so their view on the story of the British pageant is different from the American view. Mm-hmm. As, as, as a descendant of them, I see that as a heritage story. Yeah. I see that as, you know, that's my family. And I love them and I miss them and I can't wait to know them more through this portrayal of them but to them this is a conversion story yeah and it is just as powerful if not more powerful to simply watch saints become converted to christ and to sacrifice everything to do so
0: (sighs) want to get into anything else lexi
3: I don't think there's anything else that I want to. Cover. I think
0: I checked Mark to everything. It, it looks <laughs> yeah. like we got into. Most-
2: I, I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but um, uh, you had asked originally if there are two or three songs. There is one more song that I think might be an appropriate one to listen to, um, and maybe just to, maybe would be a good way to to lead towards a uh, closing of your podcast, and that's the closing number, which is called "Hope on the Horizon." I'm not talking for you, but I just feel like. It. we've talked about both families. That brings together the final hopeful message of your show, right?
0: Let's go that direction. Sure. Do you mind introing it for us?
1: Yeah. There's a lot. This is obviously the finale. So there's a lot (laughs) that has happened prior to now, and I'm not going to get into all the nitty gritty things that have happened or or where the characters are. So there may be a few things in the song but you're like, I have no idea what's happening. And that's okay. The general message is there though. Uh, so, So this is the end of the show. We've uh reached the end of the pioneer journey or we're about to they haven't quite made it to the salt lake valley but what's more important is they have decided to keep going um prior to this song there was a very very good chance that that pioneer family was going to say i'm done we're not doing this anymore this is not worth it i didn't sign up for this but we have decided to keep pulling the modern family. uh, They've come together as a family uh, recognizing that it's beautiful to be flawed. Uh, There's a better understanding of who we are as individuals because of what the pioneers did. Um, While also leaving the house. That's a big part of this show is, is can I leave the house and show the world who I really am? Or is it safer for me to stay inside and not let anybody see the real me? Um, And so she, she, in this song, is giving a fireside. That's a huge step for her. She's been asked to give a fireside. And she chooses to do it. Um, and she talks about some of the things she's learned. She's a photographer. So you'll hear some photography things in there. Um, and then at the very end, we come together in this beautiful who, who understanding of who we are and what it looks like to come unto Christ. Uh, and, and that it isn't a happily ever after. It is simply, I am now prepared until winter comes again. Because we know winter will come again. It's inevitable, Um, but now we have the tools to to beat the winter when it does come again. So, this is called Hope on the Horizon.
0: All right, let's go.
5: There is hope on the horizon. Can't you see it? Point your lens and zoom in. They reach so high Those mountains can't hide the sky Find the light And then you might begin There is hope On the horizon Take a picture of your life On the mend Lean into the bends and breaks Make space for your own mistakes Look to sign you never know, and then We'll be prepared when winter comes again
4: Echo! 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 They're getting louder now. We're almost there. Almost to Zion. God willing, we might see what your father and brother dreamed of. Oh, how they wanted to see it. But they have. They'd always seen it. Donnie saw it in his little green cap, and our dances by the fire, and the games we played as we walked. And. And father may not have seen it up close, but he always saw it in the distance. He saw it in you, Hattie. They're out there, Mother. Amongst the voices that fill this trail with sound, I've heard them. Echo! Echo! Echo!
5: Echo! Echo. There is hope on the horizon to make it known that we never
4: Fifty-six. We entered into the Salt Lake Valley after having been rescued by both angels in heaven and on earth. I can't pretend to know what tomorrow's trail will look like. Surely there are handcarts heavier than my own to pull, and to whoever might be doing the pulling, know this: I hear you. And if you hear me, then repeat what I say. Echo. Echo. Go. These pioneers could not help but sing as they walked. We filled this world with sound that hope might reverberate for generations. And if we succeeded, we invite you to sing with us. Because if we succeeded, you will already know the words.
5: Come, come, ye say.
0: Okay, I just, I love that. Now, I'll probably get in trouble for this at some point. I know President Fuller listens to it. So, <laughs> we'll just say I watched the edited version of Gladiator. <laughs> and I love the part where they, they say, what we do now echoes into eternity. Because I, I think it's so relevant. And, and it, I just spelt that too listening to that clip. So, we usually end with the same question every time, which is how your membership has affected your relationship with Jesus Christ. But, you know, we're, we're on this topic of... Self discovery, shedding the false self, learning who we are, connecting with Christ that way. So, the final question today I'd like to ask is: Who is Charlotte Westover?
1: I feel, <laughs> I feel, and maybe this is incorrect in me to start with, but the first thing that I want to say, mostly because it, it's it's what I've tried so hard to discover in the musical, is that Charlotte Westover is a pioneer. I can't tell you how many times. I've imagined myself wearing pioneer clothing and an apron and a bonnet and pulling a handcart, <laughs> um, just to just to be a little bit more like those people who I love. But I think what makes me a pioneer uh, is not the fact that I have perfect faith. It's not the fact that I chose the handcart journey. It's not the fact that I abandoned everything I loved because I am some self-sacrificing saint. Um, I'm a pioneer because I find genuine beauty in brokenness, I in pieces, in fragments. There's something so gorgeous about something that is unfinished like a mission. Something something that is imperfect, like a reflection. And all of those things under under that umbrella, those things that make me a pioneer are also the same things that make me a daughter of God. And so following up that question with Charlotte Westover is also a daughter of God, and she is a sister to her Savior, Jesus Christ. And she doesn't always remember that. She doesn't. And and I'm undoubtedly gonna do something tomorrow. And and I'm gonna think, gosh, dang it, Charlotte. What <laughs> is going on with you? Like what are you doing? Why are you why are you like this? And you shouldn't have left the house today. And and it is undoubtedly going to happen over and over and over and over again. But that's that's part of what makes me who I am. It's it's part of the name I carry. Not only the name of Charlotte, but it's the name of Christ, which I bear as a name tab. It is no longer on my chest because I am not a missionary anymore, but I am a different kind of missionary. And I still bear that name that, and, and bear that witness of Jesus Christ. I cannot wait for the day to come where I cross that ridge and I see Zion and, and my family waiting there. And, and even though that may be a ways off, and I know it will be, I have much left to go through, many more rivers to cross and mountains to climb. I know that the Savior is going to lift me up, and He is going to help me cross that valley until I can reach that reward where I see my Father in heaven again. And, and I love Him for that. So I am a child of God. I am a daughter of God. I am a pioneer, and I am so grateful to be a little bit broken.
0: Oh, such a great episode. I really hope you enjoyed the chat we had with Charlotte Westover. And I really hope that each of us takes home the message as well, that although we may be broken, although we may be sinners, first and foremost, we are a daughter or we are a son. And... Our Father is waiting for us with open arms for us to return to Zion, just as we heard in that last song. I hope you take care of yourself over the coming week. We are going to have some more episodes available to you. We we are just doing so much right now this month on The Connection Podcast, so there's a lot more good things coming. Till then, take care.